Welcome to the CondoVultures.com podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski, a Miami real estate broker, Wall Street consultant, and expert witness. This podcast is focused on identifying real estate buying opportunities in the South Florida condo market, Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. The CondoVultures.com podcast is not authorized by the South Florida real estate industry and will most likely annoy many of the region's talking heads. This podcast will feature straight talk and salty language that could be offensive to some. Please remember that part that past investment success does not determine future gains, especially in the South Florida's volatile condo market. For more information, please visit condovultures.com. Welcome to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski. I'm your host. This is episode number 16 in our podcast series. For this particular episode, we're going to have a discussion rather long discussion with an architect in Miami who's been in the heart of uh, designing a whole variety of projects, whether it's high-rises, it's mixed-use, or it's single-family luxury types of homes. This is somebody who's on the ground. This is somebody who's taking into consideration a whole variety of factors, whether it be uh, condo booms and busts, whether it be cycles, whether it be global sea level rise related to climate change, and now COVID-19 pandemic, and how people actually use the real estate that he designs. For this particular discussion, I like to put it in the context. I like to say in Silicon Valley, they make technology. In Miami, we make condos. This particular architect, his name is Ronaldo Borges. He has a firm called Borges and Associates. They're architects. He's got like 25 uh, architects underneath him. What they're doing is they're sort of taking a glimpse or, or trying to figure out what the future may be. They're trying to design product that in the future will still be state-of-the-art cutting edge. And along the way, what they're doing is they're sort of making an imprint, an impact on the way that things will be designed, not only here in South Florida, but most like, likely throughout the United States and possibly even the world. During the last real estate cycle, Ronaldo was building, uh, was designing projects over in uh, the Middle East, including in places like Dubai. He's worked for uh, some of the biggest, he worked for one of the biggest architectural firms in Miami. Uh, Previously, that was Architectonica, which has a lot of uh, name brand recognition, at least locally. And he's basically taken it all together. He's put his stamp on it, and now he is putting his imprint and his fingerprints all over the city of Miami. During our conversation, Ronaldo is going to talk about global sea level rise. He's going to talk about COVID-19. He's going to talk about the booms and the busts. He's going to talk about how South Florida is becoming much more in tune with its climate and its environment, whether that means rising sea levels or anything else. Ronaldo is uh, somebody who thinks in the future. He has a lot of foresight and it'll probably give you some stuff to sort of think about as you um, uh, listen to the podcast. And, and once the podcast is over and you sort of contemplate and things, uh, think about some of the, uh, the topics he's raised. Now, I'm sure you're going to enjoy it, but let me tell you, if you have any questions, you have any suggestions, you have any comments, you want us to take a look uh, for our podcast at a particular topic or a subject or maybe an individual, please feel free to reach out to us at inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. So in, get ready to enjoy a fantastic uh, interview with Ronaldo Borges of Borges & Associates. Again, they're architects, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of Greater Downtown Miami, Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood north to Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units 
at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker or Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome to Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski. I'm your host. For this podcast, which is podcast number 16, I have the pleasure, and you're going to as well, of listening to one of the preeminent architects who's down here in the South Florida area. He's been practicing uh, for somewhere in the ballpark of 30 years, had his own firm for north of 20 years. His name is Ronaldo Borges, and he's going to share some of his information with us about A, what's going on with architectural world, B, how COVID is having an effect. See what about global sea level rise, especially in South Florida, where the coasts, everybody comes down here for the coast for the sand, but the, it's a double-edged sword because the other side is rising sea levels. And what is that going to mean for architecture? And then finally, we're going to ask Ronaldo as we go forward, what to kind of expect as you come down to Miami, you look for new architecture. What are you really going to find? So let me make sure Ronaldo is on the line. Ronaldo, are you out there? Indeed. Ready to hey. go. Hey, man. Thanks for carving out time. I know you're busy. You're doing all kinds of projects. I'm driving on I-95 and I'm seeing your projects everywhere. So thanks for carving out some time. I'm sure the audience is going to appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for uh, inviting me. No, no, it's my pleasure. So, so Ronaldo, I like to start off um, with talking about you and talking about your firm, and then we'll take a break. And then I'm going to try to put in an ad, sell some services on the other side of the uh, ad. Then I want to get into some of the big picture types of questions. Does that work for you? Absolutely. All right. Now, one rule of engagement, the only rule of engagement, uh, we love straight talk. And as part of that, if you tend to curse, we don't have a problem with it. We call it salty language. So if you drop a, if you curse a little bit, I don't think anybody's going to be offended. We, we, we have a disclosure at the beginning of the podcast and everybody's well aware of what they're getting into. Is that cool? Absolutely. Nice. Nice. So, so Ronaldo, I always like to ask everybody, um, because no one tends to be from South Florida, uh, where are you from and how did you get to Miami? Yes. So I'm, uh, you know, part of the immigration history in Miami. Um, I'm Cuban American. Uh, I was born in Cuba. I came to Miami at age six. So Miami sort of opened the doors, you know, to, to an amazing future for, for myself, for my family, family, of course, my dad, my mom had to start, you know, from zero as a, start a new life here. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what South Florida means to me. It's been sort of a gateway city for us and for the many possibilities that, that the living in the United States and practicing in the United States and developing, you know, what we have professionally um, in, in, this, in this format is just amazing. Um, you know, so, so that's, that's our history. Um, you know, I feel very American. I'm very passionate about this country. But I also have, you know, the Spanish Cuban heritage and certainly if you see me dancing or, um, you know, <laughs> uh, having a mojito in uh, Little Havana, then you'll know that, um, you know, I enjoy that culture uh, very much. And uh, all right. All right. I, I, I got to stop you. I got to stop you. So you, you're, you're legitimate on both sides. You got the American side and you got the Cuban side. So what's your go to in Miami? So anybody who might be visiting and our audience is all over the world. It goes from Prague to Sydney, it goes from Toronto down to Buenos Aires. What's the go-to that any visitor to Miami needs to visit and or in terms of getting the authentic Cuban uh, aspect? Well, so, you know, like Miami has so many different uh, flavors, right? So um, we, we don't like to just focus on Little Havana, even though in Little Havana, you know, we, we certainly um, have a few spots that we like to have our mojitos, um, you know, in... There's Little Haiti, there's Coconut Grove, there's South yep. Beach. I mean, there's just so much out here. Um, you know, there is Ball and Chains in Little Havana, which is a spot that uh, a good friend of mine, you know, put together there. And it's got it's got the right feel. It's got a, the right vibe. 
Yes. Um, you know, and uh, that's a spot that we go to. Uh, it's good music, good dancing uh, feel there. And um, the food is small little bites. Uh, gives you a flavor of all kinds of different Cuban specialties. But the mojitos are absolutely incredible. Right next to that, there's an ice cream shop. That's that, right. Um, that is also quite memorable. Um, this is all handmade ice cream, you know, with all kinds of tropical flavors. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so, so I mean, Little Havana has got its magic right now. You know, with the pandemic, a lot of these businesses have been uh, kind of shut down and suffering. So I, I see them coming back and I, I start to see people getting back. And, um, and it's nice to see that, you know, we have to do it carefully and safely. But, um, you know, um, again, Miami is multidimensional in terms of all the different experiences. If you go to Little Haiti, you'll find, you know, unique experiences there and Wynwood and Midtown, the design district. As you know, it's like we just have an amazing amount of venues that we could enjoy here uh, year round because our, our weather is also amazing. Absolutely amazing. Now, now I have to ask you, Ronaldo, are you a medianoche or a Cuban sandwich guy? And let, let me just tell the audience the difference from my perspective. My perspective is uh, medianoche it comes on sweet bread versus a Cuban sandwich, which comes on plain uh, white Cuban roll. So we, 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 which one do you like? You know, I, I like them both, but I would say that most of the times I stick with the medianoche because it's go. a little bit, it's a, a bit smaller. It's not as, as huge and loaded as the Cuban sandwiches. But both of them are very tasty. Um, the medianoche, I like the that sweet spot, you know. Um, so it's a good combination with some pickles and and uh, and cheese, and you know the story. It's 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 a, it's a wonderful sandwich. Absolutely. Now, now, Ronaldo, I, I want to ask you: um, architecture is in your family. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so you know, I started uh, my practice here in some of the larger firms in South Florida. You know, and uh, ventured out into um, my own practice 20 years ago. I left Architectonic. I was a design director there. Um, you know, incredibly blessed to have been there. Um, and, um, you know, we're trying to sort of maintain that legacy of the Miami modernism and the kind of architecture that Architectonica put uh, Miami on the map for. And, um, you know, we've been flying solo now as a firm for 20 years is always, you know, uh, reminding yourself that uh, you got to be careful what you wish for, because, you know, uh, independent practice is not necessarily independent. You, you always have, <laughs> you know, dependency on, on all of our clients. You know, um, we end up working with great um, developers and investors and, and families that want us to design their custom homes. And, you know, you always want to have to get into the mind of, of, of the client and, and, and try to sort of work with that and, and, and create their visions uh, for them. Uh, a lot of our clients end up being frustrated architects. So it's always, you know, a collaboration, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and we welcome yeah. that, you know, because when, when the client picks up the sketch pen and, and starts to collaborate, it gets really fun, you know, it gets really creative and, and, and we enjoy that. Um, I'm blessed that my wife and partner, you know, collaborates with us as well. And, and she's, um, she brings a different dimension, you know, to sort of the practice, um, you know, and, um, you know, we're blessed with amazing talent. I mean, Miami has been attracting a lot of architectural talent. So it's a great place, you know, to have a firm and to have, you know, a creative team that uh, is really engaged and motivated to really do amazing work. Now, now, architecture actually is how you and your wife got together. That's how you guys first met. Yes, indeed. We met at the School of Architecture at the University of Miami. You know, I had, um, I had finished off at the uh, University of Florida in Gainesville. And those were the days of Miami Vice, you know. So uh, this Cuban boy really wanted to be down here with Dan Johnson and, yes. and, and and be living the life of Miami Vice. You know, Miami Vice started to kind of project this this fantasy architecture that we have here in the Art Deco District and all the other, you know, Architectonica projects were getting featured. Um, 
And I wanted to to come down here and be part of that. So I came down here and suddenly we were designing homes, you know, for some of the stars from Miami Vice and and enjoying that that time when everybody was excited about the way that the world was seeing Miami um, for its dynamics, for its architecture. Of course, you know, it was it was also a show about, you know, uh, drug dealing and all these other things that Miami seems to be known for. Um, it's a very hedonistic you know, community. So, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. but you know, I came down here. We met. We uh, we started doing projects together and ended up marrying. Uh, you know, sometimes in school, um, architects end up dating and, and marrying because you know we're passionate about what we do and and we're always we're always thinking about architecture and and that's our passion. You know, love it. Now I got to ask you, Miami Vice. Everybody's seen the program. I'm assuming who uh, listens to the podcast. Crockett's or Crockett or Tubbs, uh, which were the two lead characters? Which one did you prefer? I mean, I would I would stay with Crockett. I mean, I, I was able to meet them both, and and uh, really incredible personalities. Um, and uh, you know, I think it, it was it was um, it was a fun time for us in Miami. You know, to kind of see that the world was looking at us, and it really helped with tourism as well because you know everybody wanted to come and see all yeah. these buildings that were getting featured. Um, I mean, the opening scenes, you know, had one of the Architectonica um the atlantis you know they would zoom into the sort of beautiful red spiral stair that um was was sort of the fantasy of architecture that architectonica really brought to miami uh, miami was a very kind of beige and brown community uh mm-hmm. with these high rises until architectonica really started to bring uh, a language of architecture that was exciting that was colorful that was rich and, and it was tropical and uh, and and that that got me really excited so having been part of that team for the time that i was was pure pleasure, you know, because, you know, you're sort of contributing to the evolution of a firm that's been iconic to Miami. Of course, now, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of competitors because it's kind of hard to say that we are always competing with them because Architectonica is a brand unto itself. But um, as Borges and Associates with our firm, you know, we try to, you know, mix in with the same types of people that, that, uh, that, that go to Architectonica for that kind of architecture. Yeah. Now, 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 Ronaldo, again, because the, the audience is all around and I want to keep it basic and really educational for the audience. Can you just give a general overview about the difference or what architecture actually is? So when somebody hears about architect, what, what, what are you guys actually doing when in terms of, let's say, a new a new tower? You guys are handling all aspects. You're just handling the design. You're handling the interior. Where's the bathroom going to go? Where's the elevator going to go? Can you just give people just so we can set a baseline, a foundation? Look, I mean, I think most architects that 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 practice in in the design side, because there are a lot of technical architects that are just more concerned with the technicalities of what we do. Okay. Um, you know, in, in my 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 experience has been a bit more balanced between the technical aspect of architecture, and then the artfulness that architecture brings, you know, to the picture because it's really the art of building. It's sort of how do you turn even a shoebox into something that could be quite pleasant and could really, um, you know, affect you emotionally, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of how you play with light, with texture, with color, different materials. Uh, nowadays, we integrate a lot of technology into our buildings. Okay. Of course, you know, sustainability is something that drives us as well. So we're doing a lot now to make sure that we're building more intelligently, you know, sustainable materials and, and building practices. Um, and of course, in Miami now, we have to be concerned about, you know, how the building will perform with um, an increased amount of water and exposure to different shocks that we have here in South Florida. Um, and, and I could go more into that if you wish, but um, you know, I think that architecture really is an opportunity to create something unique and special that really hits people emotionally. Okay. People could really say, wow, this is amazing. And uh, you know, some buildings could do that. And, and that's always a challenge uh, between the architect and the client, the patron, 
that is paying our fees and engaging us to make sure that we maximize the opportunity for creativity within the budget, within the type of project, within the context um, and the scheduling that also affects, you know, what we do a lot. Now, now, Ronaldo, if any, if anybody drives around Miami, they're going to see your product all around. I mean, I'm thinking, for instance, you designed some single family houses over on South Miami Avenue, right off of Brickell Avenue. You also designed a mixed use type of project that's right in Little Havana. So anybody getting off I-95 going southbound and uh, exiting at uh, 7th Street and or going to 8th Street, they're going to see this uh, this building with a mural on it, the fantastic mural done by, I think, a Chilean artist. Um, yes. what, 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 what kind of products do you do? And can you give sort of the audience, especially if somebody owns a piece of dirt and they might want to be uh, looking at opportunities to build upon it, can, can you just give a perspective as to what your firm really specializes in? Yeah, so we, we specialize in five areas of, of specialty, if you will. Okay, so okay, and, and I always sort of like to emphasize that we do small, medium, and large because we also do furniture design, we do oh, really? small, small projects, and we also do you know towers, high rise, uh, mixed use projects. So the five areas are really in the hospitality, luxury, residential, multifamily, corporate, affordable housing. Those are the five areas that we're really focusing on. And people sort of say, how could you be doing like a $50 million house at the same time you're doing an affordable housing project? Well, you know, we think that affordability is so important right now. Mm-hmm. And, and we want to bring our flavor of architecture to that type of project. And we do it, you know, on a budget with um, affordable housing developers that really are working in that space. And we're excited about that. I mean, uh, South Florida right now needs over 90,000 units, you know, to satisfy the demand for affordability here in, in the housing stock, right? Um, and now with the pandemic, I think that's that's going to be um, increasing as well, you know. So so I think, you know, it's, it's wonderful one day to be doing a resort project and then, you know, to do everything in between. You know, the corporate architecture, we do corporate architecture offices here in the heart of Miami. Um, right now we're finishing uh, half a floor for a, uh, a development group that uh, purchased their own office space and we're finishing that off for them. So So it's a very diverse portfolio. I mean, it keeps us very diversified. And, um, you know, through the ups and downs of the economy, it also helps us to be a bit more resilient, you know, with, with that variety of architectural, um, you know, specialties that, that we bring. And, um, you know, complexity drives me crazy. I mean, it's like I love complex, mixed-use, vertically stacked buildings, you know. Like yeah, 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 Miami, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're familiar with the Conrad Hotel and the Four Seasons Hotel, which are vertically, you know, programmed projects that have office, hotel, condominiums, all in a vertical configuration. You know, I, I, I basically worked on that during graduate school, and that was a, an area of focus in my, in my graduate studies. Is um, that right? So, so, so the, the you said the Four Seasons, which is on Brickell Avenue, fourteen hundred block, as well as the uh, Conrad Hotel, which is I think they they called it the building the Arc, the Arc, yes, if you will. Yes. Yeah, so so the building um, right off I ninety five that you're um, referring to, the the Mega Center Brickell project is a vertically stacked mixed-use building. I mean, there is a T68 zoning in Miami Miami 21, which is a zoning code that um, was activated here about six or eight years ago. Um, it allows you to, to work in different um, transects in this area up to 12 stories, which is eight plus four with a bonus. And we maximize you know, the capacity of the project. We looked at all the bonuses, all the different um, you know, public benefits uh, that were being offered. So it's a building that has the mini storage, which typically are these sort of shoe boxes that we built around uh, our cities. Not exactly these, architecturally significant, though those are other ones, but yours has a massive mural on it that I think everybody would well, recognize. So I was lucky that my clients that are based out of Santiago, Chile, were open to the idea of bringing art you know, to the walls that are you know, housing 
the mini storage, mm-hmm. which ends up typically being a box, you know? Yes. And then on top of that, we have this sort of very glassy with incredible panoramic views of downtown Miami, four levels of, of these smaller offices that is a co-working product. And, and there's incredible synergy because they've started this concept in Santiago um, between people that are renting the small little offices yep. and, and, and using the storage. Got it. So, you know, and, and of course, you know, sometimes in urban areas, people end up doing, using storage in their office at very high rents. You know, so in this case, you could store stuff at very affordable prices down below in the building, and then you could operate from above. And now with the kind of mobility and, and flexibility that we need, you know, especially now after the pandemic, I think it's a great prototype, you know, so they're super excited. Um, we're finishing the building now. Um, you know, we're waiting for more artists that are going to be curating the eight remaining walls um, surrounding the building. And uh, so that's an exciting project. It kind of brings culture, local culture. And also they brought a little bit of Chilean culture because they brought Chile's, one of Chile's uh, pr- premier artists um, to do the first mural. Um, then the homes that we're doing down the street on South Miami Avenue are unique because, you know, South Miami Avenue is a historic corridor yes. that connects, you know, the Brickell neighborhood with the Coconut Grove area and down to Key Biscayne as well. And there we're doing a series of 20 um, custom, you know, um, modern tropical homes that are, uh, they're all spec. Um, so these are all folks that are sort of buying, allowing us to, to design and build, and then they're selling those. Um, you know, to families that, that want to be part of that community. So, so those are, those are uh, fun and uh, it's been amazing, you know, to do like 20 homes in a street like that. It, it'll really set the tone for architecture there for a while. So um, we're excited about that project. Now, now R- R- Ronaldo, we're coming up, if you can believe it, to the end of the first segment. Um, but I do want to ask you this question before we go into the commercial break. Um, is it is it more challenging to have a developer give you an open slate and say do something, or is it more challenging for you to uh, be sort of shoehorned in and work within parameters that are definitive and set by the developer? Which which one which, which one pushes you harder? Look, I mean, I think that uh, in our practice, uh, say in the Middle East, you know, we were in the Middle East for fourteen years. Okay, I shut down the office in two thousand eight, and and being in Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Jeddah, Riyadh, you know, all these environments that are really pushing you to be um, the most creative, the mm-hmm. most amazing architecture that you could possibly produce. That's always exciting, and that's one of the reasons why architects sort of landed in the Middle East, and and some really wanted to stay there because you know um, the culture is sort of driving. Um, creativity in, in a way that, that is exciting for architects, right? Um, so that's very exciting. I mean, very restrictive programs with very tight budgets and limited timeframes and so on are also uh, incredibly pleasurable to work on. Because, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's, it's a great challenge, you know, to do something that you have limited means or, or tight, you know, like tight budget, tight schedule. Um, I'm, I'm starting to work now on a restaurant venue here with a Turkish group and they want to get operational in six months. And 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 if anybody knows in you know, Miami, what it takes to, in Miami, in Miami, six months. <laughs> yes. So we're having to go through that education process that you know we, we we can't do this in six months, even if we hire the building official to be part of the team. You know. Uh, <laughs> so you know it's it's always a challenge, but you know we always sort of bring that creative process, and the creative process you know kind of brings solutions to everything, 
and uh, and we remain optimistic and and that's what we do um, but um in in a way you know the the the, the practice of architecture is really um motivating you know to to the creative mind you know because you're always being tested and you're always trying to explore new ideas and new possibilities but always within the restrictions of codes. I mean, South Florida is the most codified place in the planet, you know, because, you know, as you know, we have the hurricane aspect of the code. That's right. And, and, and you know, uh, sustainability yep. is important now. Um, you know, resiliency practice is important. So, you know, we're really having to deal with cutting edge restrictions and the fire marshal sometimes becomes the most important guy in the team, you know, um, yeah, 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 yeah. from a life safety point of view and how you deal with, with that, you know, so, so it's um, it, it really keeps us in our toes. Yeah, I love it. Now, now, Ronaldo, um, I'm going to put your contact information in the description of the podcast. But if somebody wants to reach out to you, how would they? What, what's the best way for them to reach out to you or your firm? Well, they could find us on the web at uh, BorgesArchitects.com. There's there's an info um, email there that gets to me, and um, you know we're here in Brickell Avenue, so Borges and Associates, you know, easily to to Google it and and locate it. We also have. Uh, exposure in Instagram at uh, Borges underscore architects. Um, and we also are on, on Facebook as well. That's fantastic. So, so you're listening to the kind of vultures podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski. We have the pleasure of having Ronaldo Borges on the um, podcast. We're going to take a short commercial break on the other side. I'm going to ask Ronaldo what's going on with sea level rise, what's going on with COVID, what's going on with the market and some other things about looking forward from an architectural design perspective in the South Florida area. Stay tuned. We'll catch you on the other side. Don't buy a South Florida condo, discounted or distressed, before taking a Condo Vultures correction tour. CondoVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market, a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, please visit condovultures.eventbrite.com or call 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski. This is segment two of our interview with um, architect Ronaldo Borges. Ronaldo has been designing a whole variety of different projects all in and around the South Florida area as well as in the Middle East back in the last real estate cycle. And now I've come to find out he's actually a flying architect and he's rubbing elbows with the likes of not only Crockett and Tubbs, like you mentioned in the first segment, but also, I guess, Jack Black, the Hollywood actor. Is this as true, Ronaldo? And why have you been holding it for, out from everybody? Well, it's fun. I mean, they uh, there's a group that uh, put together the uh, Years of Living Dangerously documentary that uh, aired on um, National yeah. Geographic's. And one of their first episodes was coming down here to South Florida and, you know, talking about what's going on. So they wanted to have an architect's perspective on wait, wait, the which, challenges by the way, that sea level rise brings to South Florida. Rise. And we'll get into and, some of that. Yep. Uh, and it was fun, you know, so they... Indeed. So so that that was sort of, I mean, I've been on, on this journey of, of learning and, and exploring ideas to uh, future-proof our communities and the coast for close to 10 years now and the word gets around so these guys came they you know we looked at the site we ended up you know uh, filming right at the mouth of the river with an incredible view of biscayne bay really yes. where the water is confronting you know the coastal aspect of our city um i mean water is so important to this community especially on the real estate side you know uh, having water views is super valuable and being close to the water is something 
that is super attractive uh, on all our projects. So we had a great conversation, you know, and Jack Black always kind of brought a, a humor aspect to uh, to something that could be dark and gloomy and, and perhaps uh, depressing to some, you know, to think about uh, a more watery future for South Florida and basically to all coastal cities because, you know, New York, Boston, um, you know, coastal cities in general are having to think through this. And um, I'm certainly very involved in that in my practice and, and being a voice and a, and a, and a thinker uh, about that future, you know, um, uh, made a good friend, um, also Jeff Goodell, who wrote a book called The Water Will Come. And he's a writer over at Rolling Stone magazine on the environmental side and um, ended up, you know, publishing some of our concepts in his book um, and, and his, you know, gone around the world understanding the dynamics of, of water and how coastal communities are having to deal with it um, throughout the world. So, so there's a lot of conversation in South Florida. I'm also serving the city commission on a sea level committee that I'm um, the only architect that sits on that. And it's also uh, on resiliency because as you know, resiliency has to do with, you know, the capacity of individuals, of communities, yes. of institutions, of businesses uh, and systems to really survive and adapt, you know, because of all these stresses um, that, that come upon us. You know, we have hurricanes, you know, with storm surge, and we have incredible rain events that are also bringing a lot more water. But now correct, with the coronavirus, correct, correct. you know, resiliency takes a different, um, a different dimensions, you know. So, you know, our architects are very involved in that conversation now in terms of, okay, how do we design it to- Okay, now I want to stop you now. That, now, now I'm going to ask you, you know, for, from the virus I'm like going to blame it on the audience, but I'm going to do it for my own purpose. If we could dumb things down and make it very simple, because I'm a numbers guy, but when you ask me about anything with design or, or materials or anything like that, I, my, my mind goes sort of blank. So, so I want to I want to ask you some questions related to the architecture. But what I also want to find out is you said flying architect. The audience is wondering, how the hell are you a flying architect? What, 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 what does that mean? Well, so I, I owe that to to my late father, who yes. uh, was the aviator that, that got me started in aviation early on in my life. So I, I started flying, you know, Cessnas and, you know, single engine planes. Um, I then grew into flying ultralights, which is really in South Florida, yeah. it's like a magical machine. It's a magical flying machine. It's very, very fundamental. Okay. Uh, the ones that I fly are on float. So we're, we're landing and taking off on water. So Biscayne Bay is a perfect environment because Biscayne Bay allows us a bunch of areas where we could land and take off and we're low and slow. And that's what's key about this light aircraft is that you're flying at low speed and a very low altitude. So you get to see everything, you know? So as an architect, you know, it's almost like, you know, uh, incredible stimulation every time I go up and, and I get to see this beautiful environment from up there, um, always fly with perfect mm -hmm. weather. So we never really push limits on the weather issue. So it's always like light winds sunny blue skies you know we try to stay away from storms that's um, fantastic so it's, it's really uh aviation yes at its best you know uh very very uh simple machines but um as an architect urbanist you know to kind see, of see so the I'm city and its um, dynamics you get hired for there all the time it's really you ever get really paid special. to actually ultralight around the site um or or do you have to you have to grind it out and use google maps <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, so I, I had always been the fanatic where on a yeah, particular yeah, yeah, yeah. site, you know, I would go in a helicopter yeah. that I would rent, you know, for an hour or two and sh and shoot the sites. Nowadays, I w I've been using, you know, some some drones that we have that that allows to do that on any particular yeah. site and, and, and go up and, and shoot the shots and, and get what we need. And now with the ultralight, indeed, you know, I think that 
it, it does allow <laughs> us in, in some sites, because you cannot fly this ultralight all over the city. Um, there, there are some restrictions, you know. I try to stay away from Miami International traffic and 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 try to stay safe up there. But um, very few people are flying at the same altitude that we're flying, because we, we get to fly really low. So, um, so it's just, you know, it's a thing of pleasure. Yes. And, and uh, there are times where I, I may photograph some sites, but uh, primarily I'm just up there having fun and, and kind of like forgetting about the stress of, uh, yeah, yeah, of yeah. the practice and of the business and, now, now, and all these things. You, you no, have but, a couple um, different things coming at you at the same time, you being yeah. in the architectural um, architect world. Um, obviously, we all know about global sea level rise. We also now have to deal with the pandemic and how that's changing people's lifestyles and maybe what they want. Uh, and then also in South Florida, we always have to do with the cycles, the, the cyclical nature of building. And then by the time it's delivered, maybe there's too much and then you got to absorb it. So I'm wondering, can we sort of talk about uh, these three uh, concepts and kind of what you're seeing uh, both yourself as well as maybe what some of the clients are talking to you about? And maybe we should start with COVID simply because it's the one that's right in front of us. And hopefully it's the one that leaves us the, 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 the soonest. Does, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, certainly. So, so COVID certainly brings an additional set of challenges because, yes. as you know, in Miami, we like to uh, greet each other by hugging and kissing and um, a very kind of warming thing that we've come from, from Spain and, and from Latin cultures that like to embrace and kiss and so on. Um, so that's a challenge, you know, because uh, the first thing that when yeah, I yeah, see yeah, a yeah, friend yeah, yeah. now that I haven't seen in a few months, the first thing they want to do is want to give you a hug. <laughs> and then you have to sort of give them an elbow or or, or stand back and, and salute like a Japanese, uh, you know, salute. Yes. Um, you know, so so these are these are things that are more on the personal level. I think from a design point of view, there are opportunities uh, for the design uh, professional right now. Architects, you know, throughout the country, through the leadership of the American Institute mm -hmm. of Architects, we're working on a series of risk management plans for buildings. Um, you know, we're offering cons consultation on reoccupancy assessment of sure. buildings. You know, how do you bring staff back into a building and make them all feel safe? Um, you know, there are all kinds of design related issues that COVID has brought to, you know, to what we do, whether we're designing a hotel or a multifamily project or a single family luxury yes. home, which we're doing a lot of here on, on the waterways of South Florida, you know, people now realize the importance of home and having the flexibility of really working in a home environment where you're isolated mm -hmm. if you like, or you're integrated into the family experience if you like as well. Um, so, you know, super interesting. Uh, my wife and I just escaped to the beach for the first time this past weekend. Yes. Um, and uh, we went to the Four Seasons in, in Surfside. And uh, it was nice to kind of see that not just the very professional staff is really taking it seriously and they've been trained very well and they're keeping the hotel, you know, spotless and, and, and cleanliness and safety and all that is in everything you're doing. But, but it was relaxed, you know, people were relaxed and, and um, that was nice to see, but, but it's a very sort of high end experience. I don't know what's going to happen in some of the hotels mm -hmm. where the price point maybe is lower and it gets saturated and people, people forget, you know, in, in certain moments of, of enjoying the South Florida environment. I think that's been one of the big, biggest concerns in Miami Beach with Mayor Gelber, you know, kind of keeping the beaches closed as long as he did. Yes. It was sort of the concern that the beaches here are very public. 
and 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 people will come from everywhere in great quantities, right? Just like you know, uh, you've seen you know the Memorial Day events and and all these events that that um, bring a lot of people to the beach, and it's difficult to keep the social distancing and the safety measures that that um, the CDC is recommending. So, so we have a lot of challenges like that because you know I think we're social animals to begin yes. with, and we wanna we wanna enjoy um, you know socializing. We want to be with each other. We want to go out to the park. We want to go out to the beach. And sometimes we forget. And, and in forgetting, sometimes we get infected, you know, and that's a challenge. That's why you see now some spikes in Florida and other states where people are just going out and they're forgetting that we're still in a pandemic and we still have a virus that is very, um, very strong and, and, and it gets you, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it's like a game of tag. You know, if you get tagged, you don't even know you're tagged until you may have symptoms so, so these are real challenges. Yes, because it's not it's not a virus that you could visualize, and sometimes it takes days or weeks, you know, for people to really manifest, um, you know, the symptoms, right? So, um, I just had my mother uh, tested because a friend of her came to visit her. Oh, it's and horrible. A few days later, yeah. she finds out that her friend was tested positive. You know, so so it really it affects everybody, and and everybody, uh, you know, there's no discrimination here, you know, and. And, yeah. and, and it bothers me for it to become so politicized because really this, is, this shouldn't be about um, political agenda. This should be about health and about keeping the community healthy. And as architects, that's what we do. You know, we, we think about these things and we think about creative solutions, of course, in the work environment right now. We've got, you know, firms like myself where I have an incredible team of over 25 mm -hmm. architects, everybody working remotely and everybody being super efficient. And, you know, we're Zooming and go to meetings and, and blue jeans, all these different video conferencing, we have yes. to adapt because our clients are using a, a lot of different uh, platforms. So we became experts in all these different platforms, and um, and we're doing our a lot clients, of that, uh, are, a lot of collaboration through video conferencing. Designs and or and, how much they're willing to spend. Have there been any budgetary changes thus far, or even the way uh, they envision their their projects? Look, so so the biggest okay. concern came with sort of like a pause, like like okay, let's slow down, let's let's put the, let's put the project on hold for sure. a few months, let's see what's going to happen and how it may affect the programming of our projects. So that was sort of the first concern, yep. right? As a business owner, you want to have continuity, you have teams engaged in work, you don't want to stop it, you don't want to have to pick it up in three months, right? Um, from a cash flow point of view and from a creativity point of view as well. Um, but that happened, and, and now some of the projects are getting back on track and I'm, I'm seeing sort of more relaxed, like, okay, so we're going to be okay. We're going to get through this. And it's not going to be that different on the other side of this thing. Cause, cause people will still want to do, you know, um, what we do, you know, which is in South Florida, mm -hmm. we like to go to a Miami mm -hmm. heat game yep. and uh, we like to go to a restaurant and a nightclub and so on. Right. Um, so, I mean, these things at some point people will feel safe to venture into that world, right? For now, people are being more cautious and there's a great amount of uncertainty. So with that uncertainty, um, obviously my clients are sort of saying, well, let's slow down, let's stop this. I mean, I had projects that were about to go into groundbreaking now with construction and they told me, look, we're gonna stop now and we're gonna see. Obviously, a lot of these are you know, also intelligent moves because I think that contractors are going to be hungry. There you go. They feel that they'll be able to negotiate chisel, a better deal with a contractor <laughs> in, two or, in two or three months, you know. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so I mean, it's, it, it sounds funny, but but you know, contractors in yes. South Florida um, have been super expensive. Yes. I mean, construction, as you know, keeps getting you know uh, more and more expensive um, because it was in great demand, and and uh, you know, it's a supply and demand and competition issue. Yep. And now there's going to be a lot of competition, a lot of hungry archi- um, contractors, as as well as hungry architects. You know, we are experiencing. Uh, a more sort of um, engaged, uh, competitive, um, you know, climate, right? With our with our competitors, with our friends that we compete we're, with. Were, were you day. seeing that um, before COVID? I mean, so that's that's something that I'm seeing. But, side, um, that's really what I do. But you you deal with all different types of um, product types. Um, we, we we were seeing a slowdown on the condo side simply because there was an oversupply. Were, were you already seeing a change before COVID, or is this a result of COVID? You mentioned some of the yes. the heightened competition. Yeah, so look, I mean, I've stayed away from new condo projects um, because, in general, you know, condos are high risk for architects in terms of litigation and things like that. And, <laughs> and you know, we like to, you know, live life being the post. and not, <laughs> you know, surrounded by a lot of attorneys um, and, and and depositions and things like that. So, I mean, you're an expert witness, so you know how, mm-hmm. how things go. And and a lot of times, you know, the architect is thrown under the bus and, and the uh, developer wanted to build the building, yes. you know, with less quality and less, you know, specificity of things. And that's the condo world, right? So I, that's why I like hospitality. I like multifamily. The multifamily developer yes. has a different mindset about quality and how things perform through time. Because if they install a lot of things, it starts falling apart right away. They're always having to replace things. So, so the, you know, that's a world that, that I like to, to be in. We're doing a lot of that. We just finished the ARA, um, right where Miami meets Coral Gables. Uh, for a group from New York, those are 100 uh, rental units. The project turned out nice. super nice. And um, we did all the interior architecture there as well. Um, so, you know, in that world, in, in the hospitality world, um, it's the same, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, the hospitality developer is concerned about the, the hotel experience for the guests and, and, and the quality of the experience and the richness of the materials. And, and now it's about safety. It's how do you, you know, I, I, I see some people sort of saying, well, let's not, let's not build in a lot of meeting rooms into our hotels, which is something that's right. that I think is going to be short-lived because, you know, eventually people will continue to go to hotels for, for, for business meetings, for weddings, for, you know, all these events that we, we, we enjoy in hotel mm-hmm. environments. Um, so I think, you know, we're having to design with more flexibility. Um, so the things could be flexible into the future. And I think that that's fine uh, on the office side, a lot more co-working uh, activities, yes. you know, where people are, are, are leasing the amount of space that they really need on a short on a shorter schedule you know so you're not signing three four five year leases you're signing maybe a three month lease you know um, that is month to month and it gives you more flexibility um, and you could grow and expand and contract you know quickly because I think that's the world that we start to live in so it's a world that we have to be evaluating you know, um, our practice as architects or engineers, um, you know, um, with more frequency, you know, we, we can't just make a one year to five year plan. We have to, you know, and speaking like of that, speaking plan, of Ronaldo, so see how does COVID affect along. those, so, um, co-working more, spaces, which basically, yeah. uh, to make it real simple for the audience, uh, a company could come in, they can lease an entire floor. And then what they will do is sublet little portions of that floor with a desk and a phone and everything else to uh, an individual who maybe has like a one or two person operation. Do you think co-working is going to be affected or is that uh, long term or is that just a short term sort of apprehension that, hey, I don't want to be around people because I'm going to catch the COVID? 
Okay. Look, so so there are different yes. types of co-working environments, right? So there's some that you see in Wynwood here in Miami that are mm -hmm. very open and very much for the young millennial that wants a place to hang out and a social network to do business with and collaborate with. And you see them with their laptops in the middle of a space. Those spaces are having to be separated now. Really? With with uh, plexiglass and glass enclosures. You know, yes. people people want to have a little bit more, you know, intimacy and separation, right? Um, that's important. So so these businesses that have popped up now that will give you like a kind of like a plexiglass enclosure for workstations and so on, those businesses are thriving, you know, because right now you see it in the in, in the supermarket. And you see it in a lot of places where you have to engage, you know, conversation yes. with with a security guard or someone. And so you see like plastic shields trying to protect you. Right. So the same way people want to be in a more protective bubble, if you will, um, co-working has, again, different venues. Right. In Brickell right now, there are about six different co-working venues in, in downtown Miami and Brickell. And and they, they all feel and and, and so so and so differently when it comes real to simple COVID then, concerns. So effectively, um, it's just like it was a lot before pre-COVID. But now there's plexiglass that's separating the workstations. Is that, huh? Okay. Yes. Yes. Well, that's that's one of the tools and uh, in, in the spaces that are more open. And and a, a lot of these places, what they also promote is sort of the social networking that happens in a WeWork and and, and you know there's one called Space, there's one called uh, industrious, um, yes. you know, part of what they're selling is sort of this idea of socializing with others. In yes. my case, if I'm in an environment like that, I'm socializing with investment brokers and, and developers and hospitality developers and so on. Got it. Uh, so, so, but now they put all that social mixing on hold for a while. So, so they're not really having the weekly events and, and presentations and things like that. Right. But, but I think that that becomes, uh, a mm -hmm. very good way to office in a professional environment because it gives you the flexibility. You know, I, I sort of see apprehension in people getting into a four or five, six year lease. You know, I mean, in our world, you know, we have to lease a copier. We have to lease a phone system. You know, yep. everything is, yep. is 30, 40, $50,000 in business. You have to lease it and you end up with long-term commitments. Right now, the co-working environment is a plug and play um, type of environment. They give you your phone, they have copiers, they have receptionists, they have food, they have coffee, you know, so it's highly um, catered to, you know, in terms of the experience. Um, so I think that that's an area that I may see some growth and, and the combining of that with co-living and, uh, you know, co-living is a challenge, right? Because, you know, the co-living, uh -huh. mm -hmm. you know, you're renting an apartment. Well, it's almost like a, a university dormitory, right? So how you manage that, how you manage, I mean, I think everybody has to get tested. But, you know, those that are critical about testing, the fact is that you could be negative today and you could be positive tomorrow. Right. Um, so it depends on where you hang out and who you're hanging out with and how you're wearing or not wearing a mask and what kind of social distancing you're uh, mm -hmm. maintaining. Right. So, you know, technology starts to work with us on that. As you know, the, the cell phones are going to start to to track us and try to remind us of maintaining distancing and so on. Um, I yeah. think in the United States, you know, with, with the kind of yeah, for attitude sure. that we have here, that that technology is going to be more difficult. I think, you know, I think it's being used in the yes. Orient, um, you know, because the cultures are different and people well are more yep. uh, kind of surrendering to that kind of monitoring and that kind of control. Um, but, but, you know, here the challenge is that this is the home of the free, the home of the brave, you know, and, and people feel 
that this pandemic yep, in a way yep, is, yep. Is, is sort of a, a political issue and, and it isn't really i mean i think it's it's a, it's a health issue it's 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 a crisis it's a it's a dangerous issue so from a design side you know we could we could control certain things but human well, behavior I, is human and, behavior and, and, and i, I want to ask and, you about and, human and behavior you'll, we'll see how that evolves right they're because, working at home they're not necessarily yeah. getting suited up and sitting there in front of the computer um, do you expect any changes um, in terms of what people are looking for now in an office space? And do are people going to even want to go into the office or are they going to just want to sort of stay at home and telecommute? What, what, what do you envision and wh- what are some of your clients um, uh, saying about this whole concept? Yep. Well, I think you see even the larger corporations, you know, like like Twitter and, and even Apple mm-hmm. is, is having to look at this idea that. Right now, everybody's at home, right? And and people have discovered that you could work from home and still be very effective, very engaged. I mean, my, my daughter works at Royal Caribbean and she's part of the, um, you know, the website team, you know, putting out um, new cruise okay. ships into the future because they're selling cruise ships now into the next three or four years. And every, everybody's working from home. So, so, you know, incredible efficiency and still very collaborative, but you know, the company mm-hmm. is more and more relaxed with this idea that people don't have to be in a physical office uh, in the same environment all the time. Um, for us as architects, you know, we have a lot of collaboration sessions. We have a lot of digital ones. We're having still a lot of, you know, uh, face-to-face, you know, sketching sessions and, and model building and things like that. Yes. But the world for architects and creators have become more and more digital. So so you could you could do digital collaboration from anywhere, right? Um so all you need is good internet, you know, speed and uh, a good connection that is reliable. And then, you know, yes. that becomes important. So so the infrastructure that we're building into our cities is important from an internet point of view. Uh, as you know, we're getting 5G installed all over Miami and everybody's being, you know, concerned about it. But, you know, I think the 5G takes us to another level of, of, uh, of connectivity and speed and efficiency. Um, so I think, you know, in the city, yep, yep, yep. we're, we're now, looking now, at that. We're also looking now, now at sea level rise and storm surge. I already blew through our original time. So do you think you can hang out and we'll do another segment and the segment will be about sea level rise and how that all sort of impacts you? Does, does, does that work for you? Okay. All right. So let, let, let me ask you one last question related to this, yeah. you know, the COVID and the yeah. changes we're and good. other things yeah. that um, uh, have come on as of, as of March. Then we'll take a commercial break and then we'll get into the sea level rise because that's something I want to talk about. And I know that's a passion of yours. Um, I guess what I'm wondering is um, how long will it take government to catch up with what architects already know and what people who are working at, at home already know? And what I mean by that is it used to be that you had an office building, you had a condo building or an apartment building, and they didn't really mix. They were they weren't zoned that way. There was parking um, uh, uh, differences. There was this there was that. I mean, is this an opportunity and do you see the governments actually reacting and maybe some of the office buildings, if they're no longer going to be needed the same way, could they go mixed use? Uh, what, 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 what's the concept of that? And I'm a neophyte and I don't know anything. What, what, what do you sort of envision? Do you envision anything where the governmental side catches up with what society is really doing? Yes. Yeah, so look, I think that if, if you look at Miami 21, which is a zoning code that dictates how we put together a building in the city of Miami, and there are codes like that in every municipality, but let's say mm-hmm. Miami 21 is a code that, that we're using uh, here in Miami, okay. they really promote the idea of mixed-use uh, developments, right? So so 
because they, they want good urbanism. So when, when you look at a lively city, it is a city that is very active with different uses in a, in a, in a, in a, in a limited amount of area, right? So you're not spreading and sprawling, you know, suburban sprawl yes. um, kind of does that very well in terms of spreading things around, right? So, so the densification of, of cities is something that Miami 21 does very well. Now, there's a lot of conversation now about suburbanization coming back. I mean, the, the sort of this appetite to spread out and, 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 and have large parcels with single family homes where people feel safe, where the kids could run around and they don't have to be yes. freaking out that yes. they're going to be touching something or getting, you know, sneezed on or, or whatever, right? Um, you know, I, I just think that it would be kind of tragic if we go totally into the suburban realm now as an overreaction to this pandemic, you know, because we do feel safer when we're out in, 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 in nature and, and, and out and about, but we cannot afford to develop, you know, um, cities with this mm -hmm. mentality, you know, because the utilization of land becomes very inefficient, you know, and, um, you know, I'm a proponent of densification. The question now is you need to densify, you need to stay smart in the way that you're living in dense populations you know i think that you know you saw in new york everybody was sort of saying well the reason new york you know spiked up so fast is because of the densities that they yes. have well it's it's a little bit of that and it's also a little bit of the culture you know there's a lot of culture in new york that doesn't like to be social distancing and some of them even mm -hmm, felt that mm -hmm. they were never going to be infected by this you know <laughs> that's they, for sure they, they were not believing it you know well they believe it now right and and now now new york has leveled off and New York has been able to to sort of adapt, you know, with their social distancing and, and wearing masks and so on, uh, limiting their movement and so on. So so they've, you know, if, if you if you uh, vaccinate, you know, large amount of populations and people stay safe, um, I think eventually people get more comfortable again with the idea of densification. Densification to me is the most resilient and sustainable way of habitating you know, places, right? So that's where, you know, we could talk a, a little Perfect. bit about what that means in, in, the, in the realm of, of climate change and sea level rise. And when you bring a pandemic into it, um, that's that's an interesting conversation because now it escalates the concern yeah, yeah, yeah. So, of so health Ronaldo, and safety why don't we take a commercial in the break context and we'll, of resilience. Commercial, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll pick up the uh, global sea level rise and some of the environmental aspects and incorporate all that. But what one point I just want to throw out is, um, it makes me think of September 11th, after September 11th, when those planes crashed into the uh, Twin Towers in New York City. A lot of people were afraid to go into a high rise for the first year or two or three, uh, something like that. And then at some point, uh, people sort of forgot about it. I'm almost wondering if this, you know, the pandemic thing and hopefully there'll be a vaccine sometime soon and we can get this thing under control. If people will start to uh, go back to what's really what they like to do and that's socialize, be around other people rather than be a shut in tucked out in the suburbs somewhere and it takes you you know you got to get in a car in order to see anybody so that would just sort of be my my, my you know yep indeed well you know, i i think that if if um if you're a psychologist yep. and yep. you understand the impacts of short-term memory on human behavior <laughs> i will tell you that we are a culture that that suffers from short-term memory uh concerns True. you know so so people will forget you know because we experience True. that with hurricanes for example Every hurricane well season, we have to scare the pants out of people before they take a hurricane seriously because they, they sort of forget, you know. So I think that the same way with this pandemic, I think eventually we all want to focus into a future that brings back some sense of normalcy and, and, and we tend to forget. You know, we just have to sort of, mm -hmm. you know, make sure that we understand that pandemics like this could reoccur 
and and we have to be more. Uh, I think we have to be smarter the way Correct. we sort of control. You're it. listening to the kind of and, and podcast. Isolate it uh, in the Ronaldo future. Yeah. We're going to take a short break. On the other side, uh, Ronaldo is going to give us some uh, ideas about what's going on with the global sea level rise, how Miami and South Florida will be affected, and what architects are doing to sort of fend it off. So stay tuned. We'll catch you on the other side. Challenging times for real estate calls for experts that help you to navigate the new normal in the process of buying or selling property in South Florida. At CBA Realty, we listen carefully and advise based on stats, local knowledge, and experience. For more information, call us at 305-865-5859 or visit our website, cbrrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski. This is segment I'm three ready. with Ronaldo Borges. We're talking about architects, South Florida, and all the different things that are impacting what uh, uh, his industry is doing and how it's basically positioning the public so we can utilize and take advantage and yet admire some of the beauty that can be created um, uh, with buildings and with architecture. Ronaldo, I want to ask you about sea level rise, and I want to start it off based on a story that came out uh, a week or two ago in the New York Times, and and it posed the question, and this was nonfiction, will Miami be around in 2067? It's based on a book that was just published that says basically Miami, regardless of what's done, is going to get flooded out. Now, believe it, don't believe it. Uh, your job is to try to um, design and build so that uh, we can still continue to cherish this place. What do you uh, what, what do you sort of see going on? What's real? What's not real? And what steps are, are, are people like you and your industry doing to, to ensure that we can still continue to enjoy South Florida even past 2067, according to New York Times headline? Yes. So those are catchy, you know, headlines. And I think a lot of those reporters are being serious about what they're looking at and how they're documenting it. But a lot of times they try to sensationalize the issue or they they, yes. they want to use South Florida as a postcard of, of this concern. Right. And, and this is this is an issue that is affecting coastal communities throughout the entire planet. This is not just a South Florida issue. This is a Singapore issue. This is a New York issue. This is a Boston issue. This is a San Francisco issue. New Orleans is, is below sea level already. So, so Amsterdam, you know, the you throughout the world yeah. and a lot of cities, um, even London, you know, Lon- London had to do things, you know, to manage their water flow um, that were super expensive. And now they're, they're like, you know, brilliant solutions. You know, I spend 15 days in the Netherlands learning from the Dutch, you know, how they, how they stay safe. So, so, you know, I think that, first of all, the science is there. Okay. So, uh, you know, I don't like to spend time, you know, having to convince people that, that climate change is real and that it was, you know, human cost and that we continue to damage our planet. I don't like to spend time on that because, you know, that's sort of like mm-hmm. trying to be, you know, defensive or trying to prove something that is so obvious, right. Where I like to be is sort of on the creative, you know, problem solving side. And how do we, how do we accomplish a future where, where we're relaxed with this issue, right? So the world becomes more dynamic. South Florida is anticipated to have between six and eight more feet of water uh, in about a hundred years time frame, right? So that's a lot of water. And that's where I say, okay, so how do we design into that? How do we design with flexible adaptability? Yes. How do we, you know, design buildings that will, won't be completely damaged by, by, by water um, that could be adaptable? So, First, you have to believe that you want to live in a more watery South Florida, because a lot of people sort of like, well, you know, it's like living right now in a swampy Everglades. You know, are you going to be comfortable in that environment? OK, um, well, so so you have to come to terms with the fact that there's going to be a lot more water and a lot of people sort of say, well, but 
The other problem is that that water is going to be contaminated. It's not going to be very clean water. And I think that that's, that's still, the jury is still out on that because I still think that we could clean our environment. So as we get more watery and we have more flooding events, mm-hmm. that we're just not sort of contaminating Biscayne Bay as we are now with all these different, um, you know, nutrients and all these different contaminants that um, create a very unhealthy, you know, water environment. Um, so, so, you know, again, you have to approach this thing as a visionary, uh, as a futurist, as an optimist, and you can't let doom and gloom overwhelm you, right? So there are different camps here, and they're yes. all good friends, and, and we all have, I think, relatively civilized conversation about these things. Some people sort of say, well, we need to, we need to start to think to, to displace the community, to, to, to relocate people. That's not going to be something that happens overnight. Well, you know, I think that those that don't feel comfortable living okay. in a watery South Florida will probably have to start looking for higher ground. Yep. The thing is that we have like about 6 million people now in this tri-county area, right? You know, how do you display 6 million people is not very, very effective, especially when you start to look where are you going to relocate to? Because climate change is affecting every place in this country. You know, if, if you live in the That's Midwest, right. you know, you're having different experiences. Look at the fires that we're seeing in California. I mean, you know, there's even fires that are like unbelievable, Siberia. unprecedented Siberia, in Denver no. and, you know, the, the, <laughs> the areas of Colorado around the, you know, exactly. So, yes. so, so climate change is not just sea level rise. It's not just hurricanes. It's like all kinds of things happening. So where do you feel you're going to relocate to where you're going to be safer with your family and you're going to have the economics of a thriving city? that allows you to have, you know, economic sustainability. These are all sort of complex questions, you know. Um, one of one of the areas that I focused okay. on early on in my career was understanding how the American city evolved and what, what was sort of driving the economics of American cities. And and cities, as you know, is sort of the framework for our economies, you know. And, and I think now more than ever, that becomes more digital. Mm-hmm. You need to have good internet. You need to have good connectivity. And, and, and a lot of times you cannot be in the middle of nowhere and have all that, right? So, so I think that that kind of drives the idea that that still densification is something that we should look at, but we got to build with more quality, with more resiliency. You know, we need to look at building materials. The durability of materials becomes more important, and these are things that have to be codified. You know, like right now in the Florida Building Code, yes. the durability of materials is sort of mentioned, but it's not mandated. You know, it kind of leaves it more flexible. So, so that's an area that I'd like to, you know, advise my clients, you know, out of a checklist of things that we need to look at when we're designing new projects, durability mm-hmm. of materials, especially in the lower portions of a building, become very, very important. And, you know, adaptability and, and what I like to call flexible adaptability is really a building that through time is adaptable, that it doesn't get totally flooded and then you cannot even reach, you know, um, the lobbies and the areas of the building that you go up and you you navigate vertically inside a building. Um, so so these are all things that are now being codified. We were able to modify Miami 21 with uh, five feet of freeboard. And what the five feet of freeboard gives us is sort of five feet to really elevate things, an yeah. additional five feet from where FEMA wants us to be, right? So FEMA has a map and FEMA tells you in this area, you have to be at 10 feet. With Miami 21 now, you could decide to be at 15 feet if you wanted to without asking for any variances. Uh, so it kind of gives the design professional and the developer and the visionaries, you know, so, some so slack to start a, to adapt term, you know, to, to a more watery um, South Florida. What, what, what does so, it do for streetscape? Is this like in an urban area or is this more in a um, residential uh, gated community type 
Right. So that's a great question because, yes. you know, the relationship between street, sidewalk and building is very important to have a very vibrant city with liveliness. I Absolutely. Mean, I've seen you walking around <laughs> and enjoying the urbanity that we have in Miami um, and, 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 and sort of having that connection with other human beings that are enjoying that urban realm. So so I think eventually we need to look at that. And it's sort of a sectional mm -hmm. issue, the section between the street, yes. the sidewalk and the building. You know, and how does that start to look different uh, in, a, in a more watery world? So in Miami Beach, as you know, they are, are already started racing streets and sidewalks up to about two and a half to three feet. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of, you know, level one of adapting infrastructure. And that starts to have an impact on existing buildings and then on how you design into new buildings. Um, so, you know, Miami Beach was the first one to really, um, you know, accept this idea of a five feet of freeboard. And um, insurance companies love it because you're basically reducing risk by elevating, you're reducing risk. Every time somebody tells me all the concerns that we should have about insurability in, in, in coastal cities, I always remind them that, you know, all you got to do is sort of design around that and, and you reduce risk, right? So, so not just from a hurricane wind point of view, which yes. we kind of got it right with the, with, the, with the South Florida Building Code, where we became the most resilient um, code in terms of wind damage. Now you need to look at water and the water flow and the hydraulics of water in communities. How does it affect the architecture, the urban spaces, the plazas, the parks, you know, all these things, right? So, so it gets complicated and a lot of people get sort of distracted with the complexity and, and they want to tune it out, right? But um, I see it as an opportunity, you know, for creativity and, and for coming up with uh -huh. new concepts. So we started to work in our firm, we started to work with different ideas of, of sort of floating architecture or what I call platform cities and things that are sort of elevated and are resilient. And it just sort of accepts that we're going to have a watery world and that we're going to be living more with water. Um, and, you know, if you live in a, in, a, in a coastal area in a high rise right now and you enjoy the view of the water, you already embrace the idea that, that being close to the water is something that, that is giving you life and, and that the water itself is giving you health, right? So I think, you know, my, my take is sort of, how do we design into that more watery world? And how do we turn it into something that is positive and not something that is negative? And also, you know, I just don't think that we could be relocating Correct. coastal communities, you know, to higher ground everywhere effectively because there's danger in all kinds of other areas. So, you know, you have to start to look at, you know, maybe staying in place, you know, sheltering in place as we say, right? And, and designing into that and, and designing a community that will survive, you know, the more watery future and that, um, you know, it will be okay, right? So I, 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 I hate the idea that when a hurricane comes, that's right. the message that the governor has to put out mm -hmm. is like, you need to evacuate. You need to go upstate. You know, you have to leave, you know, the coastal regions of South Florida to be safe. Well, I know by design that I could design for 200 mile hour winds if, if I needed to. So I don't have to tell people you have to leave your place of, of, of your, your, habit, your habitation and go up north. And what's funny is that the codes get more and more, uh, exactly. less and less stringent <laughs> the further north you go in Florida. You yes. Know, in Central Florida, you know, in Central Florida, some of those hotels and some of those buildings are built out of, you know, stick buildings and, and cardboard and that's right. And stuff that uh, is not very resilient from for a wind point of view. So so displacing people, getting them on the Florida Turnpike and having to move north 
to me is always like, well, wait a second, we could design a better South Florida that is sort of more bulletproof to these conditions so that we could just sort of shelter in place and be ready to continue uh, as the storm passes. And, and it's, you know, the good things about hurricanes is that they, they move, they move yeah. about re yeah. relatively fast, right? They don't typically hang out for like a week, right? Um, so, you know, I think that that's the world that I see is sort of a world that is more adapted to this condition. Uh, a lot of the projects that we're doing on the coast, you know, are already sort of being raced and elevated um, as I described, and, and my clients are happy because they sort of start to feel like they're investing into resiliency. And, and if they're going to live in the project for 20, yes. 30, 40 years, they understand by modeling that I provide, because I do coastal modeling of storm surge and different flood events, that they're going to be okay in that location, right, for a period of time. Um, and a lot of people are not really looking at what happens in a hundred years. Or it's just a trade. They it's may have moved on to another life already. So um, to flip it and I then think call that... it a day and move on to the next one and let somebody else do it. <laughs> yep. Right. So so that brings up the fact that we're very transient in, in terms of our society. People move around a lot and, and we have the ability of moving around a lot. A good friend, John Englander, that wrote a, a great book that, that talked about, you know, sea level rise. Uh, on Main Street is now writing a book that really focuses on the idea of, of moving to higher ground and, and finding safety by displacement. I think that's kind of the thesis of his book. He's about to publish it now. And, um, you know, I think that that's an area that we need to put a lot of thought into. I mean, I've yes. been invited to talk in Central Florida because they're concerned about what's happening in Southern Florida and how it, it may affect the density of their neighborhoods and, and their, their uh, urbanizations, right? Um, so there's a lot of concern of that, but I think in general, you know this well, Miami is a place that's always reinventing itself. And then I find it as an opportunity to really innovate and find a way to live in this beautiful environment and uh, continue to and, to flourish here and, and, and not necessarily- And just, I want to ask you about the Ronaldo. You know, no, to higher no, ground. No, you, you're also involved my with, um, let's say public organizations, entities that are actually trying to take steps to find solutions, kick around ideas. Can you just give us some perspective about some of the different agencies or entities you've been involved with, working with, in terms of trying to take on this problem of uh, climate change and rising sea levels? Yeah, so now in South Florida, we have three resiliency officers. Mm -hmm. We have one at the county, one in Miami Beach, one in uh, the city of Miami that were funded through the uh, Rockefeller Foundation 100 resilient cities program and in in all those areas you know these uh, resiliency officers are working 24 7 with their teams on making sure that we're, we're we're building smarter we're urbanizing smarter that sustainability is is is, is key uh, also to be more efficient with the utilization of all the things that we consume in urban environments um you know miami beach for example has like a plastic free miami beach campaign to eliminate plastic altogether from the, the barrier island um so these are all focuses that that these resiliency officers are putting out there. I'm I'm sharing uh, committees at the chamber and also sitting so, so in if I can stop uh, you, commission so you're at the appointed chamber, the Miami Beach um, chamber committees on resiliency. Okay, and, and then in terms of the you, you mentioned you're also on a committee. Where, where's that committee? Yes. That's the city of Miami, or is that Miami? Yeah, that's the city of Miami, and I was appointed by you know Mayor uh, Suarez. And, you know, the only architect that sits here, yep. it's, it's, it's really a mix uh, of talent, you know, because we have some scientists, uh, some social scientists. Yes. Um, you know, so everybody kind of looks at resiliency with a different filter. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I'm, I'm more about, you know, how do we affect the built environment? How do we co codify into the future? Because as an architect, I realized that we could only design into a future that is codified. You know, a lot of times if I tell my client, uh, let's design this building for 160 mile hour winds, and that's not what the code requires, my client is going to look at me and say, you're kind of silly. I'm not going to do that, you know? So, Correct. you know, as soon as it becomes codified, then there's no conversation. It's what the code requires. Um, and, you know, so, so investing into more resilient uh, buildings, right, uh, which reduces the amount of losses that we have during any uh, given event is super important. You know, I think that that's one of the most sustainable ways of building is to build with, you know, the integrity of a very resilient building that looks at materiality and engineers the building to withstand these, these forces. Um, so what I'm doing as an architect is sort of trying to bring that mindset to all these committees and to the different conversations that we're having in the community, um, kind of bringing my take to that. I think architects are used to dealing with yes. complex projects and managing, you know, a group of consultants that are all specialists in their field and, and trying to kind of filter that towards, you know, uh, solutions that are economical, that are wow. you know, resilient, that are smart and, and sustainable, et cetera, yes. et cetera. So that's kind of what I've been doing. I mean, you always have to give back to your community. This place really gave me the freedom and the abilities to 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 live in this amazing country. And it's always a pleasure, you know, to give back to the community and, and hopefully, you know, affect the conversation in a positive way. Um, it's very controversial. You know, a lot of people sort of say, well, you know, this is really not happening. And, and why are we wasting time with this? Um, even actually some smart architects have given me that kind of take on, on the idea of, of future proofing the community or designing into a future that is going to be more, now, more now, I watery ask you, and, Ronaldo, um, we're, we're going to be more at risk with these stresses. Segment. Um, it seems to me like South Florida go through real estate cycles every seven to 10 years. And every time we go through a cycle, something new is introduced, some different angle, some you know, uh, 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 marketing, some perspective, star architect, micro units, you name it. I'm wondering, um, everything we're learning from COVID, everything we're learning from uh, the climate change and the rising sea levels, is that something we're going to introduce as we're in the final stages of this current cycle? Or is that something that basically is all going to be thought about and then actually introduced? So when we begin the boom again, uh, it'll be introduced then. So in other words, is this all immediately going to be um, uh, instituted or is this something that, that's likely going to get instituted, uh, you know, in the in the years ahead as we start to grow again, as the economy booms? Look, I mean, I think that um, developers are uh -huh. catching on to the fact that resiliency is something that they should be paying attention to. Right. Um, there, there's there's a handful of developers here one of them being very visionary yes. and still very young and very aggressive with his projects. And that is David Martin of Terra. And, you know, David, you know, has brought, you know, international architects mm -hmm. to work here. And, and he's very much in the frontier of thinking through this future where, you know, adaptation to that future becomes important. And it's kind of part of his creative mandate to his architects, you know, um, because he also sees that it will affect the value of his portfolio. If, if he's got a yes. portfolio that really doesn't look at that future, you know, I think that that's a missed opportunity. And so, so, I mean, the idea is that you have to get groups like, like, you know, like the related group and, and others that are really visionary and, and, uh, and, and, and the sort of the avant-garde of, of, of reinventing Miami at every cycle and, and start to bring the narrative of resiliency um, and, and building, you know, with, with the kind of vision of the future that mm -hmm. we face 
with a greater embrace of what that means to the to the culture, to the investment, to the to reducing the investment risk. You know, so so if you're if you're buying into a building that already sort of you know proved to be resilient with with the checklist of items that are very very fundamental, you know, you're you're reducing the risk of that investment, and I think that that's a smart way to move. So you know, there have been a few developers. Yes, there's a Nomad Terrace project by a design by Jean Nouveau in Miami Beach that you know elevated the main the main lobbies to about 10 feet above sea level and 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 started to kind of promote the idea that that it had a vision uh, for resiliency in in this context um you know one could criticize it right because you know in design and 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 building um one should be open to critical thinking and one could say well 10 feet is not enough right um but um but still, it's part. Of, if you look at, at, at their narrative the and the way that they're promoting building, right? their project, marketing is the first that's building in part of the story. Waterproof. You know? uh, yes. Yeah, but but in general, what, what it means it. is that the main habitable floors, right, is at ten feet. You know, and and ten feet is ten feet. You know, um, it could be fourteen. It could be fifteen feet. Right. So yes. So if if you understand the context of say Stillsville which are these wonderful little homes, you know, you know, sitting there in the middle of Biscayne Bay, those are really elevated on stilts and, and they allow the water to come and they have survived several hurricanes already. Um, so there's a way of elevating and, and reducing risk. And I think that that's something that the, the codification of South Florida zoning and also mm-hmm. building, you know, because there are different codes that are doing different things for you. Uh, one is sort of protecting the building envelope the windows and, and, and sort of keeping the winds away from the inside of the building. And the other one is to make sure that the wind, the, the building is staying safe. So you're elevating, you're, you're bringing all the mechanical equipment away from the lower portions of the building. So also they don't get damaged and, and affect, you know, the functionality of, 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 um, of vertical buildings. So there's a lot to think about. I mean, I see it, I see it as, um, as an opportunity, you know, for the creative mind to bring greater resiliency and sustainability to this community. And, and, and I think it's an investment in the future of this place, which I think has many, many years ahead. I mean, I think that we could say that in 100 years, we'll That's all right. be underwater, but that doesn't really mean that we stop living in this place. That just means that we're going to live in this place in a different way, you know, and we're embracing the water and we're floating and we're elevating. And, um, you know, it's a different way of, of, of seeing things, right? Uh, water management becomes super important in the future of South Florida. Because, you know, we get a lot of, you know, waters that are coming from central Florida, from the agricultural land, and end up draining into our waterways. You know, all these things have to be looked at. Um, so we need to be engineering the water flow in South Florida and making Ronaldo, sure that, that we was, keep the waters that, clean. Because that's really Ronaldo, I can't thank you enough for taking um, time out of your day and, to uh, um, discuss you know, all these topics. Because obviously you're very passionate about it, you're very informed, and you're actively involved with it, which should give everybody confidence going forward that people who care are actively involved. So if anyone wants to get a hold of you, Ronaldo, what would be the best way for them to reach out um, and, and, and get your attention? So we have a website, BorgesArchitects.com. Uh, my personal email is rborges at BorgesArchitects.com. And um, we have presence in, um, in Instagram at uh, Borges underscore architects and also on Facebook at Borges Architecture. Um, so, you know, we're here, we're based in Miami, very active in the community. You could Google us, you could find us, you could see the work we're doing and 
the conversation that we're trying to be part of and trying to contribute towards. I think we need to be strong-minded, focused, disciplined, and optimistic about this future, you know, because um, it's, it's, it's the way to see the future. I mean, I think that being negative and thinking that only relocating yourself from a context is the only solution. Well said. And if anybody sees so, Ronaldo so out on the street um, and he's at a Cuban restaurant, give him a Median Noche rather than a Cuban sandwich because it's a little bit smaller. Um, you listen to the Counter Vultures po- uh, podcast. <laughs> I'm Peter Zalewski. That was Ronaldo Borges. We want to thank him for participating. And thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check back next week. We're going to have another interview with somebody just as interesting. Maybe not as interesting as Ronaldo, but someone who's definitely interesting. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch up with you next week.